0: so glad that you could join with us for another Anthem online. It has been so awesome to see our community just begin to grow and grow. Um, Right here in our lobby you can actually see our cafe that we've been using uh, every Sabbath morning. It has been so uh, wonderful to see people coming through getting coffee. Um, Just exciting things happening and there's one really exciting thing that I want to take a moment to tell you about. On July 31st we are going to be launching our album Universal Hearts. July 31st 6 p.m. we're actually going to be having a release at 6 p.m. right here in our auditorium and you're not going to want to miss that. You can actually sign up for that, get tickets on Eventbrite. Uh, we'll have the link for you and uh, this is going to be just an amazing time where we get to celebrate uh, the creative uh, the creative moving of God here at Anthem, um, the original songs that have been coming out of Anthem worship. So don't want to miss that. Keep your eyes and ears posted for more information on that. And with that, uh, we're excited to be going into uh number two of our series, Project 242. Let's see what he has in store for us. So when you left the
1: classroom yesterday or left your place of work yesterday, I suspect that you left somebody there who's feeling isolated and cut off. When you pulled out of the driveway this morning and drove to this place, you drove by homes, drove by houses, no matter how nice they might be, who have occupants who are feeling broken and alone. And when you slipped into your chair here at Anthem this morning, just down the row from you, there is somebody whose life is unraveling and who feels like they're on an island. Now there are many different reasons for why that is true at any point in time, but right now COVID has played a big role in that people between the physical distancing and the social distancing just feel broken, lonely, isolated. And then you add to that the realities that somebody feels different than the group, somebody else hasn't been invited in to participate, somebody else has just blown it in their life and internally and maybe even in their external relationships feel totally isolated. And you have a world right now that is fractured. When I was in the fifth grade, my family moved back from Latin America to Texas for a couple of years. And I immediately was aware how different I felt from everyone else. So school started in the fall of the year in Texas, football is king. So when recess came, everybody ran out and the guys ran off and began to play football. I played with my dad a little bit in the backyard, my brother, but had never played organized in any sense football. And so I watched and tried to make sense of what was happening. I would later in life come to understand what George Will meant when he said football combines the two worst elements of American society, violence and committee meetings. <laughs> and so I'd watch these committee meetings, and then these two sides would line up, and there'd be several seconds of mayhem, and then, then they'd go back to the meeting. And I was like trying to figure out what, what is going on. Nobody picked me. So I stood over on the sideline alone. And then came P.E. And in P.E., everybody had to play. That meant one of the captains had to pick me. (laughs) No choice. And so there I was on a team. I was on the team of a guy named Steve. I'll call him Steve, since that was his name. Um, (laughs) Steve was a jock. Steve was in control. He was in charge. He was the quarterback. When he said it, people did it. I was scared to death of Steve. And so I tried to look like I wasn't, you know, too involved. But the day came when he called my number. He said in the huddle, he said, Roberts, you're going to be the halfback. That means you're going to stand beside me. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to hand it to you. We're going to run around the end. You just follow me. And I was already frightened. And then just as we broke the huddle, he said, and don't drop it. I really wish he hadn't said that. Because if he hadn't said that, I wouldn't have been thinking about that so much. We lined up, hiked the ball, he handed it to me, I dropped it, play was over, just like clockwork. (laughs) And he stood there and looked at me and started yelling, what is wrong with you? I put it right in your bread basket, can't you even hold on to the ball? What's the matter with you? And I just remember feeling like I was out on this little island I could never have articulated it that way at that time, but like I was on this island by myself, embarrassed, broken, and alone. I thought about that feeling, that experience in recent weeks, as people feel like they're out on this island by themselves. And then we come to Anthem, we come to LOUC, and we come to Project 242. Last week, Pastor Miguel began. And he talked about the fact that we need to converse, connect with each other. You'll remember his Live Out Challenge was connect with someone, listen to what they say, and send it in to us. Many of you responded. We're going to ask the same thing of you this week. To our website, Live Out Challenge. It's very easy but the live-out challenge today is a bit different so we go back to acts two forty two acts two forty two and the paragraph that immediately follows it and we're going to read it again looking this time for the table in fact as we read this i want you to notice that three times the passage mentions eating together so let's read acts two, beginning with verse forty two they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and a fellowship those who were being saved. There it is. Verse 42, breaking of bread. Verse 46, they broke bread. Verse 46, they ate together. There's a lot of eating going on in the early church. And in fact, that's not only in Acts, that's also in Luke. Dr. Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, and the table is a central feature of what he writes. Two brief quotations from two different New Testament commentators, New Testament scholars underlying that. First, Grant Osborne says, an amazing number of scenes in the Gospel of Luke were over meals. And this continued in the early church. Meals provided the core theme of fellowship, then spread to include every area of life. In other words, they came to the table, they ate together, they were bonded together, but then that went out and infiltrated everything else about their lives because there's something about eating together New Testament scholar Craig Keener one sentence points out what that is in scripture he says table fellowship denoted intimacy and trust when you sit down together at the table you grow relational now scholars are quite united that the language here in this passage is talking certainly, in fact, maybe even first and foremost, about a common meal, about sitting down and eating dinner together, for example, but that it is also language in the original that connotes a sense of the fellowship of the Lord's table. So what probably happened is they sat and they ate a meal together and they finished the meal by partaking in the broken bread and the spilled blood of Christ. So both things are happening. It's possible that you've read Acts, or at least read some of it, and wondered, how did that small cadre of believers turn the world upside down, to use a term somebody described them with in Acts? How did they do that? What made them so strong? What bonded them together? What bound them together? What was it that happened, and how could we get in on it? I want to read you what is one of my favorite pieces. It'll take a couple of minutes, but it's worth it. It's from the pen of writer and preacher Max Lucado. He identifies in this piece exactly why the early church had such a sense of intimacy and trust. Listen to Lucado's words. Long before the church had pulpits and baptistries, she had kitchens and dinner tables. Even a casual reading of the New Testament unveils the house as the primary tool of the church. The primary gathering place of the church was the home. Consider the genius of God's plan. The first generation of Christians was a tinderbox of contrasting cultures and backgrounds. At least 15 different nationalities heard Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Jews stood next to Gentiles. Men worshipped with women. Slaves and masters alike sought after Christ. Can people of such varied backgrounds and cultures get along with each other? We wonder the same thing today. Can Hispanics live in peace with Anglos? Can Democrats find common ground with Republicans? Can a Christian family carry on a civil friendship with the Muslim couple down the street? Can divergent people get along? The early church did. Without the aid of sanctuaries, church building, clergy, or seminaries, they did so through the clearest of messages, the cross, with the simplest of tools, the home. Not everyone can serve in a foreign land, lead a relief effort, or volunteer at the downtown soup kitchen. But who can't be hospitable? Do you have a front door? A table? Chairs? Bread and meat for sandwiches? Congratulations. You just qualified to serve in the most ancient of ministries, hospitality. Something holy happens around a dinner table that can never happen in a sanctuary. In a church auditorium, you see the backs of heads. Around the table, you see the expressions on faces. In the auditorium, one person speaks. Around the table, everyone has a voice. Church services are on the clock. Around the table, there's time to talk. Hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. It's no accident that hospitality and hospital come from the same Latin word, for they both lead to the same result, healing. When you open your door to someone... You are sending this message. You matter to me and to God. You may think you're saying, Come over for a visit, but what your guest hears is, I'm worth the effort. That's how the early church did it. All of these different cultures, all of these different nationalities, all of these different levels of society, they sat down at a table together and they ate. And then they followed it up, participating in the symbols of Christ, broken body and spilled blood. And in the process of eating together face to face, you know what happened? They became a community, a community that was bound together in such a powerful way that they utterly changed the world. Go back and read some of the writings of the early Christian centuries and you will find writers around them that had nothing to do with their faith actually marveling, saying, we don't understand this group. Men and women are treated as equals. Slaves and masters walk together. Different cultures unite. We don't get it. But the early church did. You know what they in essence said? You want to understand this? Come over for supper. We'll sit down at the table. And you'll begin to understand what we're about. That's the power of the table. That's the power of hospitality. That's that power that draws us inexorably together in Christ. We're one. We live in a fractured world. We live in a lonely world. And yet Lucado is saying, do you want to step into that world in a way that makes a difference? Do you have a front door? Do you have a table? Do you have bread? Do you have veggie meat? If you got all that, then you have the tools required. You can change the world. That's what this table symbolizes. You see, we're very accustomed at this table to think about the vertical dimension. And let me be very clear, that is fundamental to it. It's that act of reconciliation between God and humanity. Bringing back a holy God with a broken humanity, bringing them back into relationship. We celebrate that here. But what we sometimes miss is the horizontal dimension. The fact that not only are we reconciled to God, but at the table, God calls us to reconciliation with each other, to unity with one another. We often forget that. And it is symbolized in simple physical symbols. I mean, in a few moments here, you'll have it's really just a thimble full of grape juice. And you'll have another thimble with, because we wanted to be careful about contamination, another thimble with a small wafer of unleavened bread. So if you're like me, when you hear me saying what I'm saying, you're sitting there thinking, Randy, come on, I've got grape juice here, I've got a a wafer of bread here, and you're telling me this can change the world? Seriously? Well, it's a symbol. And symbols have power. Sometimes great power. Think of it a salute, a hand over the heart, a fist in the air, a knee on a field. They're all symbols sometimes dramatically different symbols that elicit sometimes dramatically different responses. But what binds them together is their power for what they represent. That's the nature of a symbol. Gary Thomas, writing in Christianity Today, now quite some years ago, wrote of the visit of then Vice President George H.W. Bush, to the Soviet Union. He was there for the funeral of the premier who had just died, Leonid Brezhnev. There he was with world leaders all around him, this magnificent event of state, the body of Brezhnev lying in state. Bush would later speak of what happened right toward the end of the service. It was that moment when they were going to lower the casket lid for the last time. In fact, the military guard was there already with hands on the lid when Brezhnev's widow stepped up beside the casket. Most couldn't see what happened, but Bush did. He said, here, the widow of the man in charge of an atheistic power stepped close to the body of her husband and traced the symbol of a cross on his chest. Thomas, in Christianity today, would then write these words. There, in the citadel of secular atheistic power, the wife of the man who had run it all hoped that her husband was wrong." She hoped that there was another life and that that life was best represented by Jesus who died on the cross and that that same Jesus might yet have mercy on her husband. A symbol. Power. Or take the late John McCain. Senator. The 2008 presidential election, McCain was interviewed by a a writer from Time magazine who, among the other questions, asked McCain about his personal journey of faith. McCain told the following story. He said, when I was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, where he was a prisoner for many years... He says, there was a period of time during my imprisonment there when they would come in at night and they would tie my hands behind my back and then they would run a rope up and around my neck and then they would pull it tight until my head was down between my knees and then they would tie it around my feet and they would leave me thrown on the dirt floor tied up like that all night. The pain was excruciating. And then one night, he says, one of those guards slipped into my cell. He quietly untied and loosened the rope until I could stretch out and sleep. And then early the next morning before the other guards had arrived, he slipped back in and carefully tightened it all again, night after night. He said, we came to Christmas Day And I encountered that guard in the prison yard. We stood together for a moment. I, keenly aware I could not give any hint of recognition. We stood there. And he looked down at the dirt. And then with his foot, he drew a sign of the cross. And we both stood and looked at that symbol and then he erased it and we went our separate ways don't tell John McCain there's no power in a symbol there's power in this symbol power to change the world but the way it can change the world in your lives is so simple It's opening your door. It's inviting somebody to your table, somebody who's different from you, that neighbor that nobody talks to, that classmate that gets isolated, that person back at the dorm that you really don't like, that individual who's from a different culture, who's a different color, a different socioeconomic status. What if you open your door and break your bread and share your water with them? The late Fred Craddock, for whom I had profound admiration, used to say it very simply. He said, tell me who sits at your table, and I'll tell you who you are. So that's my live-out challenge, not just for you, but for me this week. It's to open our table. Open our heart, open our home. You know, years ago, I came to the realization because I tend to be a very private person. My wife would have all of you over for lunch. (laughs) In fact, maybe I shouldn't tell this, but a woman who's sitting right over there has a sister and her sister is married to her husband's twin brother. And we were sitting at a table one day and we're all talking, we're laughing. And Anita says to them, y'all just come on over. We'll continue the party at our house. And I kicked Anita under the table. (laughs) Except I missed Anita and kicked her sister. (laughs) And her sister looked at me and said, you don't want us over there, do you? And I'm like, "Ah." (sighs) Oh, mercy. So I've been thinking, I've been praying about this challenge myself this week. Just thinking, God, you have to open. The lesson I learned in the weeks after that, was simply this hospitality doesn't have to do with the size of your home it has to do with the size of your heart that's what hospitality is not how big your house is but how big your heart is and that's how the early church changed the world so that's our live out challenge invite someone to your table open your heart Open your home to them. And then go to our website. Just click on Live Out Challenge and let us know what happened this week. And so there I stood on an island. All these teammates looking at me. Steve yelling at me. Can't you even hold on to the ball? I remember one other thing that happened that day. I remember it because I did it every day. School ended. I trudged toward home, up one street, crossed down another street, up a little hill, and then down a long hill, across a busy street, and up into the neighborhood where I lived. Got home and did the chores, did my homework. And then mom called us to dinner. And we came. Dad sat on this end. Mom sat on that end. My big brother John sat right over there. My big brother Lindy sat right there. My little sister Mary Ellen sat right here. And I slipped into my place. And it didn't matter anymore. I was home, I belonged, and it didn't matter that I had fumbled the ball. That's not only the experience I want you to have at this table, that's the experience I pray that you will take from this table and share with someone else.
0: That's it for another Anthem Online, and we hope that you have been blessed by everything that has happened here uh, this morning. And uh, we always like to say that, hey, if you have been enjoying Anthem, you've been blessed by it, you feel a part of the family, we would love to have you contribute financially. uh, You can do that by two different ways. First of all, you could text LLUC to 77977, or you can go to the website, lucorg slash give. Choose the Anthem tab, and you'll be able to give there as well. Hey, we're so glad that you could be a part of the Anthem family this morning. Uh, we know that God is working here. Uh, we also know that he is working in your life, and we pray that as you move into a new week, you are filled with the spirit, and share the light with the world this week. We love you.